back again, and uh, it's actually good to be reminded what I preached on last time. Uh, it, it is true, we did uh, talk about the uh, priestly benediction. Am I on okay? I think I put this on. And uh, it's great to be able to come back again, and uh, thank you for the privilege of coming to be able to share with you here uh, on a Sunday morning, and uh, see some familiar faces and uh, some uh, very uh, welcoming people. Uh, so, Shalom to you in the name of Jesus the Messiah. It's uh, wonderful to come and bring uh, greetings to you from the Holy Land. Uh, that is, of course, Caulfield down in uh, the Holy Land of Australia. But also, of course, uh, greetings in the name of the Lord. And, and so uh, this morning, yes, I, I would like to share with you from the Scriptures. But just before we get there, I'd like to tell you a little bit more about the work that we do in Celebrate Messiah. And I have a PowerPoint that uh, I'd like to share with you. Uh, some of the, uh, the ministry that we do both here in Australia, not just in Caulfield, but in other parts of the country too, and uh, also overseas. So uh, let me get this moving. Uh, we are reaching out to Jewish people, and that's our, our primary focus. Uh, our mission statement is bringing the message to the original messengers. That is to bring the gospel back to Jewish people from whence the gospel came from in the first place. Uh, most of us Jews today don't believe in Jesus. Um, maybe two or three percent of us do. Maybe a little bit more that we don't know about. But there's a massive task. The people have brought the message to the world now. We need the message brought back to us. And so this is what we are, we are doing. And we're hoping that you are also taking those opportunities when you can to share the gospel with Jewish people or to pray for Israel's salvation. And so we're doing this in various ways, uh, through uh, outreach, uh, through planting communities, and through just doing good in the name of Jesus. That goes a long way. Let me tell you a little bit more about all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can have a look at our website, celebratemessiah.com.au. And also, um, we have a lot of information on there about evangelism and about Israel and about the Jewish people. But also a particular site that I think that you can have a look at is uh, isaiah53.com.au. I know that you love the Bible here. You love this uh, site that is uh, really focused on that amazing prophecy in Isaiah that speaks about the suffering servant of God, speaks about the Messiah 700 years before Jesus existed. It was a, it was a prophecy that brought me to faith in Jesus my brother shared that with me, and this is something we still use a lot in evangelism to Jewish people. So it's a good site there. A lot of also testimonies uh, of Jewish people who have come to faith. And uh, that also is another site uh, of testimonies, ifoundshalom.com. So it's a good evangelistic site to get uh, any Jewish friends that you might have, family or whatever, to go up onto that site. Or you have a look too and be encouraged, ifoundshalom.com. And lots of testimonies there. Uh, and I recently uh, popped my testimony up there as well. So we're working overseas. Uh, in Israel itself, of course, uh, it's a real privilege to serve in Israel. In these last 10 years or so, I've been doing a lot more work there, together with my wife, Louise. And um, we're part of the work there, which is called Beit Sa Shalom, the House of the Prince of Peace. Basically, that's uh, Chosen People Ministries. We're part of a, a global ministry called Chosen People Ministries. And there's a lot of need in Israel. Um, we do uh, a lot of things like um, uh, food distribution centers and soup kitchens uh, in um, uh, Tel Aviv and uh, in Jerusalem. 
And uh, another very urgent ministry right now, as you can imagine, is reaching out to Holocaust survivors. And uh, we're ministering to this uh, sector of, uh, of course, our Jewish community. And all the Holocaust survivors, as you can imagine now, are 80 plus. So we're not going to have this ministry in 10 or 15 years' time. They, they, they will all have gone. They're dying at a great rate still now. And so we have an opportunity now to reach out to this group of people who suffered so much, who saw so much, the worst that humanity can do. Uh, and um, many have actually come to faith. And we actually have a ministry here in, this, in Melbourne too amongst Holocaust survivors, which is really a, a blessing to see many of them who have come to know the Lord. But the, the, the opportunities are getting less and the time is urgent. So we ask you to pray for that ministry. Uh, one of the things we do is take Holocaust survivors out of Israel and we go to the place where more Jewish people died than any other country in the world, Poland. Uh, and that's where my great-grandparents come from uh, in Poland. Um, and uh, what happens is we take Holocaust survivors out of Israel to Poland. They are Christians in Poland that host them in a lovely conference center, love them, share the message with them, just just pour love on them in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine knowing that this is where all, you know, millions of Jewish people were killed and yet uh, now they can come to Poland and be loved on by, by Christians. This is amazing uh, ministry. And uh, please pray for that as it continues. We also have some congregations in Israel and uh, work amongst um, uh, children as well, kids camp uh, ministries that uh, happen uh, over the summer period. And uh, even in these uh, ministries uh, around Israel, there's camp ministries that are working amongst Israelis and Arabs as well, and it's just uh, wonderful to see. Uh, we have a center in Jerusalem. Uh, this is the uh, Jerusalem Messianic Center. And if you really are interested in Israel, perhaps one day you'll come on either a mission trip with us to Israel or perhaps a, uh, a Bible study tour of Israel. We love doing those, so keep in touch with us. Uh, work in uh, Russia is still something that we love and are very involved in. Our missionary Rita just got back from the far east of Russia. And we've been working in uh, these areas in particular in the far eastern blocks of Russia. But we've also worked in Siberia, working amongst what we call the forgotten Jews, Jews that were scattered there in the 1920s and 30s. And there is an area in Russia which is called the Jewish Autonomous Region. Most people never heard of it. Stalin created an area in Russia in the 1920s called the Jewish Autonomous Region, uh, and it's uh, in this area here. Here's China, over here. Uh, this is Vladivostok, that is Biribijan and Khabarovsk. We're working in these areas amongst Jews there who were sent there to settle into this Jewish Autonomous Region, never ever became autonomous completely, never was a great place. It was just mosquitoes and swamplands originally. Jews went to go live there in the 1930s and, and 40s. And uh, we've been working amongst Jewish people in that area since 2004. So uh, we have two congregations. One is in the Jewish Autonomous Region. See how there's a menorah in the middle of this town, in the middle of Russia. All of a sudden you have uh, Hebrew and uh, menorahs, and it's just quite extraordinary. Uh, we have a congregation there led by this guy, Zhenya, uh, and also Nikolai in a place called Artum, which is north of Vladivostok. Vladivostok, that's not a swear word, that is a town 
Vladivostok. Um, and uh, we really appreciate your prayers for the work that goes on there. We work in uh, New Zealand too, amongst uh, backpackers. A lot of Israelis uh, go to the army. Of course, they have to go to the army. Every, every boy and girl has to go to the army at, uh, after school. And girls go for two years, boys go for three years. I'm going to ask you to pray for my daughter. My daughter's decided that the Lord wants her to live in Israel, and uh, she's now going into the army next month. And this is not a pretend army. It's a real army, as you know, in the Middle East. We need to protect ourselves there. And she just feels that uh, the Lord's called her to go into the army and live in Israel and be a light for the Lord there. So her name is Leora, which means my light. So uh, would you remember to pray for Leora, my, my, my baby, that uh, is 20 years old now, that has gone to live in Israel, serve the Lord there. But uh, as Israelis finish the army, they travel around the world. And when they're traveling, they're very open to meet people and discuss things and discuss faith. So when... Um, they come to Australia and New Zealand. That's just exactly what we do. There's a great ministry amongst them there. And also uh, uh, key sites in New Zealand where they travel around, mostly the South Island. We have a lodge in a place called Wanaka and uh, uh, also some other areas where we, we minister to them uh, further south. Then they come to Australia too, of course. And in Australia we have uh, outreach amongst backpackers as well. Uh, and it's just exciting and opportunities. You actually could be involved too if you ever want to have Israeli young people in your home. Let me know about it. I'll tell you I can get onto a couple of websites that you could put your name down and you can have the opportunity to show lovely Christian hospitality for two or three nights and get to interact with these lovely young Israelis. Some of them have become friends of ours uh, definitely for life. Uh, we've actually invested in a uh, in a caravan we put into our driveway to host Israelis and we just recently built our carport into another room so we can host more. So we right, right into it. Okay, um, we have work in uh, Canberra, uh, and uh, sorry, that's, uh, that's the work in Sydney and the work in Canberra, and in Melbourne of course as well down in the Caulfield area. I've uh, probably introduced you before to the two congregations uh, one is Beit HaMashiach, is an English-speaking congregation that we've planted. The other one is Russian-speaking, and as I said, many of them are uh, Russian Jews who survived the Holocaust in one way or another. In, in Russia, they survived, or they, they survived by running away into, and also sometimes been sent into camps uh, in Russia, etc., in all those areas. Now, if you are smart enough to use your smartphone, anybody smart enough to do that? You pick up your phone, aim your, your camera at that image, and it'll take you to our website where you can fill out your name and address to get a newsletter. We'd love to send you a newsletter. We really rely on the prayers of believers and also the support of believers to do our ministry. The work that we do uh, as mission work is, uh, is supported solely by believers, of course. So maybe you want to support us or at least just get a newsletter so you can pray for us. If you can't use your smartphone that, that well and you, you're not, you still can fill out a, a form, uh, I have a clipboard here. And Pastor Werner, would you mind if I pass that around? If people would like to get a newsletter from us, it's free. It's full of the Jewish roots of our Christian faith about uh, uh, reaching out to Jewish people and uh, it's educational and also uh, remind you to pray for the ministry that we do. That will really be very encouraging to us. Okay, so today 
I'm going to share with you a message that I call the two centurions. And uh, we're going to have a look at Scripture today. And I'm going to take you through Scripture in, in a slightly different way, just uh, telling the story as we go through and exploring these are the lives of these two centurions. And we're going to discover that they are an amazing, uh, both amazing people, uh, and we're going to be surprised how much they teach us about faith and uh, trust and uh, how to serve God in this world. So uh, let's, uh, let's just pray. Avinu Malkeinu, our Father and our King, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Messiah, and we ask that you would lead us and uh, guide us. Lord, as we open the Word, may your Holy Spirit come and teach us and lead us into all truth, we pray. In the name of Yeshua, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. So the first uh, centurion that I want to introduce you to is a centurion that we uh, discover in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 7, and also he's spoken about in Matthew chapter 8. A centurion. Who, what is a centurion? Not somebody who's 100 years old, maybe as well, but uh, in those days a centurion was a military officer in charge of at least 100 people, maybe more. He was employed by the Roman army to do his uh, work. He was a paid military person. They're not normally known as um, uh, softies. They uh, would be, um, you know, mercenary type people, uh, tough. In fact, uh, the soldiers would need to fear their centurion more than they feared the enemy. So that, of course, as they went into battle, they'll follow his uh, orders. And so uh, we are introduced in the Gospel of Luke to a centurion who is a very noble character, who has great virtues, uh, and who has uh, surprisingly uh, made a real impact in the city that he was living in. Perhaps he was uh, obviously uh, in charge of the garrison, the Roman garrison in the city. And the city that we're going to be speaking about is the, the, the town of Kafar-Nachum. Kafar-Nachum. That's a nice guttural word. Everyone say Kafar-Nachum. Nahum is the uh, prophet Nahum uh, in Hebrew, Nahum, which uh, is very similar to the word for comfort. So it actually is the city of comfort, the city of the prophet Nahum, whose name means comfort. And it was Jesus' northern headquarters. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Where did he grow up? Nazareth. Nazareth is up in the Galilee region, but not so close, about an uh, 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 an hour's drive now, but in those days a little bit further, of course, to get there from uh, the Sea of Galilee. But this town, Capernaum, Kafar Nachum, was a town on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 7, verses uh, uh, 1 to 4. And so the story is in the context of Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. One day, if you come with me to Israel, we'll go to the, the, uh, the hills around the shore of the Sea of Galilee. By the way, the background picture is actually the Sea of Galilee in the morning. Perhaps if you had a good 
uh, a good apartment in Capernaum. In those days, that will be in the view. But uh, uh, one day, we'll be able to go and sit ar- along the, uh, the hills around the Sea of Galilee and um, be in the place where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was his explanation of God's Word, the true intent of God's Word, the true intent of God's law, and he as the Messiah gives a wonderful teaching, and it's a, of course in the Gospel of uh, Matthew and Luke, and uh, right after he'd been teaching this very uh, impactful and dynamic Sermon on the Mount, he comes to this point, it's been a very busy day, and it says, after he had finished all his sayings, or teachings, if you like, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. As I said, Capernaum was his, the northern headquarters of his ministry. He spent a lot of time there. One of the fishermen, uh, Peter, was from Capernaum. And today you can visit Capernaum and see Peter's house, very much uh, the area where Peter had his house. And of course, uh, remember that Jesus at one time visited Peter's house and he healed uh, P- uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And that was a great miracle, wasn't it? Not only um, did his mother-in-law get healed, but Peter was happy about it. Don't worry. It's just a little mother-in-law joke. My mother-in-law's not here, so I can tell those jokes. Okay. So, here we are in Capernaum, the northern headquarters of, uh, of Jesus. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick, and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. So this centurion had a servant who was sick, but he valued the servant. Now, let me tell you that that's unusual. Romans had slaves. They did not treat their slaves very well. Slaves were considered like an instrument to be used to do work, like a vacuum cleaner or a broom that you just use. They weren't really cared for. They weren't really loved, but yet this centurion, this Roman army officer of the oppressing force of Rome over Israel at that time, loved his servant so much that he was concerned about him. And in verse 3, when the centurion heard about Jesus, so he must have heard Yeshua, this miracle-working rabbi, has come into town. He sent to him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. Now, this Roman army officer had some good friends. He had some Jewish friends. And they were high up. They were elders of the synagogue in Capernaum. It always pays to have some good Jewish friends who prepared to go on your behalf to the Messiah. And so uh, he had obviously had an impact in Capernaum, so much so that these elders of the synagogue were prepared to go to Jesus on his behalf. And verse 4, And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. So you can see that the elders of the synagogue, the Jewish elders, were prepared to go to Jesus and plead with Jesus to come and heal the servant, saying that he is worthy. This He may be a Gentile, and he was a Gentile. He was a pagan, so-called, not of the people of Israel. Romans worshipped many gods. They even thought that their Caesar was God. 
And yet these Jews were prepared to stick their neck out for the centurion, saying he is worthy. He is worthy. So he's different from all the other Gentiles. And I want to tell you that we often miss the reason why the Jews considered him worthy. And it's in the next verse. The next verse in verse 5. For he loves our nation, and he is the one who has built us our synagogue. Did you ever see that before? We can often read uh, stories and miss out some details. People often, I had this pastor who's actually on our board of our ministry, he's been a pastor for many, many years, said, I've never noticed that before. It says, he is worthy to have you do this because he loves our nation. Here is this Roman army officer of the oppressing force over Israel at the time who loves Israel, who loves the, uh, the nation of Israel, and he loves the people of Israel. Now, we don't know how he became a lover of the nation of Israel. He must have become a lover of the God of Israel. And there were many Gentiles who had become what the Bible calls God-fearers. They're Gentiles who didn't become Jews, but they obviously were attracted to the God of Israel, to the teachings of, uh, of the Bible, and uh, were even sometimes uh, in the synagogues. And remember, the Apostle Paul met many of those on his journey as he traveled around Europe uh, or um, Asia Minor, etc. Yeah, this Roman army officer who was a pagan before has now seemingly become a believer in the God of Israel, loves the nation of Israel, and he has built us the synagogue. How did he afford that? Uh, a centurion wasn't someone who had a lot of money, generally. Maybe he was an independently wealthy person, who knows? But he built them the synagogue. I think that's just an awesome con uh, concept. You see, his love was not a say-so love. He loved Israel. He loved the God of uh, Israel. And he was actually prepared to do something about it. He put his money where his mouth was. And he built a synagogue that he was not allowed to be a member of. That's extraordinary because he was not Jewish. And so if you go to Capernaum today, uh, you'll see a synagogue in Capernaum that is actually built on the foundations of the synagogue the centurion built. And it's a beautiful site. And uh, I've got a few pictures of uh, the synagogue in uh, Capernaum. And just recently, too, uh, I uh, got a, a drone video of uh, Capernaum, which I'll show you. It's very short. Uh, done by a Messianic Jewish brother of mine um, who uh, lives up in this, this area. So there's the synagogue. Uh, underneath, just underneath this, is a darker color stone, which was the synagogue the, uh, the centurion built. And the white synagogue was built a little bit later. But let's see. Can I get this moving? Amazing sight on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. That uh, section here is underneath that is where Peter's house is. This uh, town was a little bit bigger than that. That's what has been excavated up to this point. Anyone been to Capernaum before? Who would like to come and see? It's a, a beautiful part of, uh, of the world, and certainly in Israel it's probably the highlight when you visit the shores of the Sea of Galilee, or even... Float on the water. 
or walk on the water if you have enough faith. <laughs> but this is Yeshua's northern headquarters. And so isn't it amazing that he discovers this Roman army officer who loves Israel, who loves the God of Israel, and loves the people of Israel. So much so that he built them a synagogue. And he was uh, an amazing man, and we'll continue to read this uh, text. And Jesus went with them. So Jesus goes with the elders. Remember, he hasn't met the centurion. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, some other friends again, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. You know that that is true. He was a pagan. He was a Gentile. It was not lawful for a Jew to go to the house of a Gentile. The law, the Torah, forbade it. Because, as I said, they were normally idolaters, worshippers of idols, eating unclean food, so a Jew could not go to the house of a Gentile. And so the centurion says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And he's right, he wasn't worthy. But, isn't that an amazing thing? And when you humble yourself before the Lord, that's when the Lord lifts you up. And he humbled himself. He declared himself not worthy. We're all not worthy. We're all sinners in need of God's forgiveness and salvation. When we recognize our sinful state, that is the place where God lifts us up and uh, seats us uh, with the, the princes of his people. Isn't that a wonderful thing about God? And when we recognize our unworthiness, that's when he makes us worthy. And so he goes on to say in verse 7, Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. What great faith he had. He said, just say the word. Don't even have to come. Don't have to lay your hands. Just say the word. My servant will be healed. This man had great faith. And he understands the principles of spiritual authority. He says, For I too am a man set under authority. He was under authority as a centurion. But he says to his soldiers under him, I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to an another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned into the crowd that followed him. He said, I tell you, I have not even in Israel found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus commended the servant, sorry, commended the centurion for his great love and his great faith. He said, amongst all the Jewish people in Israel, I've not found such faith. This centurion has left for us an incredible legacy, hasn't he? A legacy of love, of action, his love, made him do something physical. He built a synagogue, and he was a man of great faith. What an unlikely model of faith for us, a Roman army officer. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we get a little bit more detail that I, I love to mention. Matthew chapter 8, it says, When Jesus heard this, he marveled at them. Sorry, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And he adds a little bit. I tell you, many will come from the east and in the west. Anyone here from the east and the west? Here we are, we're a pretty multi-ethnic congregation. Coming from all different places. 
Jesus said, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which was really a table for Jews, for God's covenant people. But Jesus is saying, through faith, all peoples from east and to the west can come to this table and eat. And one day we're going to sit down at that table with Abraham. Imagine the kind of questions and the stories that we're going to, we can ask him and the stories that he can tell us. Isaac and Jacob, find out from Abraham, how did you take your son, your only son, and put him on the altar? What were you thinking? How did you have such great faith? And uh, what a table and what a banquet that's going to be. We're all going to be invited if we have faith in Jesus the Messiah to this table normally reserved for the, the, the chosen people, but now through faith in the Messiah and through the new covenant, we're all chosen in him as well. Praise God. But I want to tell you about another centurion. I don't know why the Bible highlights centurions who were such great people. Normally, as I said, they weren't. They were oppressors and professional soldiers. But there's a second centurion, and we pick up his story in the book of Acts, chapter 10. Is that okay? Do I still have a few more moments? Okay. Acts chapter 10. Now, where are we? We're going to Caesarea. Caesarea, named after Caesar, built by King Herod the Great. He really should have been called King Herod the Horrible because he was a very cruel man. Uh, but he's known as the Great because he was actually a great builder, a puppet king in Israel, not Jewish. Uh, but uh, built a lot of places. Most of it he built because he was, he was worried about uh, 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 dying, actually. So a lot of the places he built were fortresses and palaces in all different parts of Israel. And you still can see many of those places today. Caesarea was built by him in honor of Caesar at the time, you know, to suck up to the Caesar. And uh, it was a Roman city. A Roman city. Uh, and uh, there was a centurion in the city. Let's read. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what is known as the Italian cohort. cohort. Any Italians? Okay. All right. There you go. <laughs> All right. And now I better be careful what I say. A devout man who feared God with all his household. Let's, let's just check this man out. Amazing Roman army officer, a devout man, feared God with all his household. What did he do? He gave alms generously to the people. He gave money to the poor and prayed continually to God. Man, this guy is amazing. Again, think about this. This is a, a Normally someone would be a pagan, worshippers of many gods, little shrines that they do and, you know, worshipping Caesar. No, this guy had become a worshipper of the God of Israel. He was known not only for his faith, but for his good deeds. Folks must never downplay good deeds. We are saved by faith, but we are called to do good deeds in this world, to make a difference, to be uh, generous, and he was generous to the people and he prayed continually to God. And we'll see how that impacted later uh, in his relationship with God. In verse 3, 
About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, the angel knew his name. I love that. Well, let me just tell you, show you Caesarea for a moment. All right, so over here, uh, this is uh, uh, the palace that Herod had built. That's the leftover of the palace. Here was a... Um, what they're called again, a um, amphitheater, of course. There's the amphitheater. Roman cities always had amphitheaters. Uh, what does that look like? That's a, a place where they raced chariots. A hippodrome, and all around the hippodrome there were uh, um, stands. You know, it was a major Roman city. Jews also lived in the city, but it was uh, a, a really not a religious city at all. Sorry, this is the Hippodrome here. That's, not the, that's the parking. Here's Hippodrome. And then there's a port over here as well. So let me uh, see if I can get this to move a little bit. This again, my friend did this drone shot for me over Caesarea. That's where the palace was. Over there. Lovely palace jutting out into the Mediterranean Ocean. All right, so the angel comes to him and calls his name. And he stared at him in terror. Cornelius was terrified and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have ascended as a memorial before God. Folks, don't ever think that when you pray, and when you give, even when you do so in secret, that God does not notice. He notices. The angels notice. Your prayers come up before Him as incense before God. Your good deeds as well. And it, it, it does get God's attention. Here we see it. The angel tells him this. Your prayers and your arms have ascended to, as a memorial before the Lord, before God. And verse 5, and now... Send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, another Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier. So he brought two servants and one of his soldiers was also a believer, also a follower of the God of Israel. And from among those who attended him and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Joppa. Where is Joppa? Joppa is uh, Jaffa today, the old port of Jaffa, Joppa in the Bible. It's uh, 62 kilometers walk from Caesarea down the coast to where Tel Aviv is today, but the section of Tel Aviv that's called Jaffa. And it's the oldest port in the world. That's the place where um, uh, uh, Jonah tried to uh, escape God's uh, call to go to Nineveh, and he got onto a ship at Joppa. But at this time, Peter is in Joppa, and Peter is uh, sleeping on the roof of a house of his friend Simon the Tanner. So let's pick up the story, okay? Let's pick the story up. And as he talked with him, oh, hang on, I've kind of jumped something. All right, let me just tell the story. 
We have Peter on the roof of the house in Joppa. In Joppa. Now, of course, in the Middle East, a lot of the roofs are flat. And this city of Joppa is in the port. You've got a beautiful cool breeze in the evening coming from the Mediterranean. What a wonderful place in, in the afternoon or in the evening to, to sit and, uh, and fall asleep. And when Peter is sleeping, we read in Acts chapter 10 that he was dreaming. He had a vision. What did he have a vision of? Food. He must have fell asleep hungry. Actually says it was. He was hungry and he fell asleep. So something I do quite a lot, that is dream about food. And um, as he is sleeping, he's dreaming. Maybe he's smelling the food being cooked by his buddy Simon the Tanner and his wife under the house there. So he's sleeping and then he sees a vision and what he sees is a sheet coming down from heaven. And on the sheet is all kinds of food, all kinds of animals. And God says to him, Peter, stand up and eat. But Peter notices there's pigs, there's crayfish and prawns and all sorts of unclean food that Jews are forbidden to eat. And so Peter says, like a good Jew, absolutely not, I will not eat. But God says to him three times, Peter, stand up and eat. And Peter's like, what is going on here? I don't understand. He's trying to work out, is God telling him to eat unkosher food? That can't be. He's really confused. But God shows him that there's going to be two people coming to the door. And uh, when they come to the door, uh, let them in and go with them. You will go to Cornelius, the Roman army officer in Caesarea, and you uh, will go and listen to what he has to say to you. And so Peter is scratching his head. Literally, it says in the Bible, he's scratching his head, trying to work it out. When the angel of the Lord speaks to him, and next thing, those two people knock on the door. Is Simon called Peter here? Yes. They stay for the night. The next day, Simon uh, Peter, Simon Peter, and uh, the three delegates from Caesarea go off to Caesarea. As I said, 62-kilometer walk. And this is what happens when he enters into the house of Cornelius in Caesarea. Acts chapter 10, verse 27. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. That's the meaning of the vision. The vision was not that you can eat unkosher food if you're a Jew. If, if I'm going to eat unkosher food, I'll have to find another scripture to back me up. That's not it. But what it is saying is that every nation is kosher for God. Every people can be clean if they come to faith in Jesus the Messiah. Jesus has made us clean. Jesus has made us all kosher. And so... Peter realizes that no one is outside of God's salvation, that God could grant even to the Gentiles repentance unto life. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news? Amen. It is. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here today. And it says, it's unlawful for me, as I said earlier, and unlawful for a Jew to go into the house of a Gentile. But now he realizes that even Gentiles are clean. 
And so Peter begins to preach to them. Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Isn't that good? God does not have favorites. Yes, He does have a chosen people that He first chose to bring His message into the world. He does have an order of salvation. The Apostle Paul says that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There's not partiality, there's no favorites, but there is an order. Isn't that true uh, about God? So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Good news. Because the nations were not part of God's original people, but now, through faith in Jesus, I've been brought in. This is a, a, a transition point of salvation history. This is... God was working with Israel all this time. Now God starts to work also with Gentiles. Let's see this as a transition point. And what happens? Oh, I love this. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who came with Peter were amazed. The Jews who came with Peter were like, What? The Holy Spirit has been falling upon Gentiles too. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we, the Jews, have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. This is an awesome story. We need to pick at it and look at it and find all these wonderful things. But I'll finish off with just uh, uh, some conclusions. The two centurions. What do we learn from these two centurions? What do they have in common? Well, first of all, we know that both of them were men of great faith. The centurion, who is nameless, by the way, we never get to know his name one day. We'll find him in heaven, tap him on the shoulder. So what was your name? You left for us an incredible legacy of love, of faith and of good deeds. You built a synagogue that we, can, we still saw 2,000 years later and we can go visit there. You know, men of great faith. The other centurion, Cornelius, we know his name and he left us. We're still talking about them 2,000 years later. What did they have in common? Both of them loved the God of Israel. Somehow they both became believers in the God of Israel. They'd forsaken their idols and taken on faith in the God of Israel. Both loved the nation of Israel. Their love for God made them love the people of God. Their love for the God of Israel meant that they loved the, 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 the Jewish people. I, I never understand how a Christian cannot love Jewish people. We love a Jewish Savior. How can we not also love Jewish people? It's not that we're lovable and easy to love, but, you know, we can be very difficult and we are stiff-necked, and uh, you know, but that doesn't matter. The fact is that if you love the God of Israel, if you love the Messiah of Israel, you need to love the people of Israel, and that's a, a sign of a good Christian. And this is what these guys were. Both loved the nation of Israel. Both of them were actually known for their good deeds. The centurion built the synagogue. Centurion, too, gave charity to the poor to the poor Jews in Capernaum. 
sorry, in Caesarea. Both these centurions were known by God, not only because of their great faith, but because of their great deeds as well. This is not a salvation by faith message. Sorry, let me turn that around. This is not a salvation by works message. It is a salvation by faith. We are saved by faith, but once we are saved, we are called to do good deeds in the Messiah. And these guys were known for that. Both have left legacy, legacies for us in Scripture. 2,000 years ago, we're still talking about them. And the question to all of us is, what kind of legacy are you going to leave for future generations? Many of you are people of great faith. Many of people of you have great love. And I'm sure you're leaving legacies in your family, in your children, and in this community. For whatever we do for the Lord will last for eternity. Things that we do on this earth often are very temporal. But things that we do for the Lord, the good deeds that we do, the love that we share, the legacy of faith that we leave for our families and our generations that come after us will last forever. So I trust that you are investing your life in a legacy that will last forever. Be people of great faith, of great love, and also great action. Let your faith be seen in the work that you do. Remember what James said? With, because faith without works is dead. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that you have done for us, and you teach us so much through such unlikely people as Roman army officers. Thank you, Lord, that such great faith has, uh, has left a legacy for us that we are talking about today. Help us to be like these centurions. Lord, that we might be mighty men and women and uh, boys and girls for you. We leave a legacy on this earth, should you tarry, Lord. But we thank you that you've seen all the prayers of the saints in this place, Lord. You have seen all the good deeds that have been done. You have seen the work that has been done with good foundations that will not be burnt up on the day of judgment, that will be rewarded. Thank you, Lord, that you do reward us according to our, our deeds. And we thank you that we are saved by faith, but we also thank you, Lord, that you recognize us, you call us by name, you know us, and that, Lord, you empower us to serve you in this world. And so I pray for your blessing upon this congregation, Lord. May you bring great fruit and a great legacy from the people of God in this place. For I pray in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, Amen.